This is Bart Peterson, and you are listening to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. This is Greg Gilchrist, and you are listening to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. This is Dan DeMarco, and you are listening to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to welcome you to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. Today, I have with me Kelly Leonard. Kelly is the Executive Director Insights and Applied Improvisation at the Second City Works. We discuss compliance training, which the Second City Works has developed, and how they've incorporated storytelling into compliance training and compliance communication. We discuss what is the Second City Works and some of their service offerings. We take a look at the Second City Science Project and how it informs the service offerings. We discuss why storytelling is so important in compliance. The FCPA Compliance Report is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network and now a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode, and you're in for a real treat today because I have with me Kelly Leonard. Kelly is with Second City Works in Chicago, and Kelly is going to talk to us not only about Second City and the service offerings of uh, Second City, but about storytelling and training and obviously humor. So, Kelly, first of all, with that incredibly long-winded introduction, first of all, welcome, and uh, thank you for taking the time to visit with me today. Thanks for having me, Tom. Glad to be here. So, Kelly, I think probably uh, most Americans, Canadians, and uh, everyone else in the Northern Hemisphere is familiar with Second City, but they may not be as familiar with Second City Works. Could you tell us a little bit about your organization? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, the way people mostly know Second City is as home to people like Tina Fey, Stephen Colbert, uh, Steve Carell, all the way back, Bill Murray, John Candy, Gilda Radner. Um, and indeed, we have created tons of stars from 1959 all the way up to, to right now. Um, we also uh, have the largest school of improvisation uh, in the world. Um, and that started out where people were, you know, small when it started and people were just doing it to get on our stage. And then they realized, wow, you go to Second City, you got a good chance of getting on Siren Live, so more people were doing it just to hone their acting skills. But, you know, our work is informed by the conversation we have with the audience. So that's that's on stage. We use improvisation to write our shows. But also in our classes, what kept happening were business people would show up and they'd be like, yeah, I'm not interested in getting on Second City stage. I'm interested in being more agile in the office or using humor to communicate. Um, and so in the sort of late 80s, uh, we started a thing called the Second City Comedy Marketing Group, and that morphed into a thing called Second City Communications. And now that spawned the behemoth <laughs> that is Second City Works. And we, you know, we work with thousands of uh, Fortune 500 companies uh, providing both content using comedy to get messages across, but also improvisation, the, the practice of being uh, more agile, more resilient, um, to be uh, better in a team environment. And so Second City Works does workshops, creates videos, does live events, a whole bunch of stuff um, for businesses and organizations of all sizes. Kelly, I've seen a uh uh, Second City at several conferences uh, where you guys would uh, do an improvisation around a compliance or compliance related topic. But that yeah, really is yeah. just a very small part of the service offerings of Second City Works. Could you detail some of the other types that you alluded to uh, just previously? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we get brought in for a lot of different issues. Um, so, uh, so in addition to you know live content at conferences, uh, we've created uh, a string of uh, video shorts called Real Biz Shorts, uh, which is for ethics and compliance training. Uh, and basically, these are short vignettes which illustrate uh, using comedy the message that needs to get a, get across. Because that's the thing that's great about comedy is it's sticky um, and people are interested in it. So especially if you have uh, information that it's very important that the person pay attention to and or it's very dry, potentially, we can help with that. And then there's all this other suite of offerings where we have a program called Brand Stage, where we will bring in uh, brands that want to do something better than a focus group. So we use our actors and directors and writers um, to play with brand properties on stage in front of audiences. Um, I also co-lead an initiative called the Second Science Project, which was started with the Booth School of Business at the University of Chicago. And what we do there is we do research and we develop executive education programs that look at behavioral science through the lens of improvisation. Um, so a lot of, we got our fingers in a, a lot of different pies, but it almost always comes down to our expertise in improvisation um, and our ability to make people laugh with our content. Kelly, I continually talk to people about the story of compliance, and I try to bring that story uh, of compliance, and I try to bring storytelling to compliance but I was wondering from your professional perspective, why do you see storytelling as so important in the service offerings of Second City Works? Yeah, so it was always our gut instinct, and for many of our clients as well, that this stuff works, that that using uh, humor is a very, very effective way um, to speak to people and have them pay attention. Uh, since we've been working with the folks at the University of Chicago, there's a whole bunch of science to back this up. Uh, the idea that human beings learn best by story, uh, by narratives, by characters that they can empathize with, this is all just essential to how human beings decide to do something or to not do something. So it's been an incredible journey to have already been in this space doing this work and doing it successfully, and then suddenly look back and go, oh, no, no, there's a whole bunch of um, uh, evidence that also sp speaks to the effectiveness of this. Um, one of the my friends, uh, Katie Borum Chatu, who's at the um, American University in Washington, actually studies uh, the use of comedy in social justice movements. Um, and one of the things that comedy uh, uh, does quite effectively is it bonds people quickly, and it also ho holds people accountable quickly when they have that bond. So if you look at something like ethics and compliance, where you really need the behavior to happen, you know, you know, it's it's not just like you know, oh, I get it, I I, I read this thing or I saw this thing, I un understand it. You need to translate that into a behavior change, and that is the one-two punch of comedy and improvisation: is that it can make you pay attention, and then it can make you behave in the way that you want people to behave. Which, in the parlance of improvisation, is all about being others-focused, um, saying yes and to individuals, um, allowing a, a space for uh, honest and authentic and transparent collaboration. Kelly, you are the co-author with uh, Tom Yorton on a book entitled Yes and How Improvisation Reverses No But, Thinking and Improves Creativity and Collaboration Lessons from Second City. And in yeah. preparing for this interview and looking at your book, I was frankly uh, stunned to see how you've taken just the lessons you detailed in literally the last 30 to 60 seconds and are able to uh, expand that out to not simply uh, storytelling and teaching, 
but how to get uh, executives to communicate better, how to get executives to listen better, how to move to a yes culture, and how to yep. lead by listening and, and learning. So uh, could you give a few thoughts about your book? Yeah. Um, you know, that was really our, our first attempt at, at writing this stuff down. Uh, and what we realized as we we did the first draft of the book, which we threw away, um, uh, because we were, we were, you know, basically getting in our own way. And we had a very simple story to tell. And the story of the book um, is the story of Second City, which is what we first need to understand is that people are, are terrible listeners and we're not focused. And that's only gotten worse in the digital age, right? We're constantly getting uh, emails or, or, you know, messages in our various social media platforms and all this stuff that's vying for our attention. And when you are improvising to be successful, you need your full uh, focus on the person in front of you, uh, the one, two, three, or 300 or a thousand people who are in front of you. Um, And so and when you take an improv class with Second City, we have all these exercises and these games that let you practice listening and focus. And this is a key thing um, because there are tons of insights out there from a variety of uh, sources, really good insights. All of those are meaningless unless they can be turned into action. Um, And with Second City, we offer experiential learning, um, active learning. So you can take these ideas and then practice them. uh, And and one of the things that, that happened, and certainly when I was writing the book, um, is I became even more hyper aware of my own lack of listening in a room or my lack of focus. And then another idea we do explore, it's the title of the book, is this idea of yes and, which is what we understand in improvisation uh, is that it's essentially groups of people making something out of nothing, which any organization that's attempting to innovate anywhere, that's what they're doing. Um, and what we learned over the years is that the way you kill innovation is by saying no. And you actually just can't say yes. You have to say yes and. You have to affirm and contribute in order to explore and heighten. And that means you've got to let really dumb ideas exist for a while. Um, that means you've got to surrender your own need to be right. Um, that means you have to allow for your brilliant idea um, to be turned into something else that's potentially more brilliant, even though you couldn't recognize that when you walked into the room. Um, so these are all things that fight our natural inclination as human beings. Um, and the only way that we can sort of successfully change our behavior is when we have this opportunity to to practice this stuff. So yes, the Yes And book was really uh, a look at kind of the main seven areas of focus that our, our work was falling into. Probably time to write a new book because we're doing so much more. Kelly, you have, or rather Second City Works, has a, frankly, ton of resources on your website. You've got podcasts, you've got blog posts, you've got news, and one particularly struck me as the father of a millennial, uh, which was entitled, (laughs) How Do You Mentor Millennials But Sidestep the Drama? So I was wondering if you could just give us a few hints on that subject. Yeah, so one of the things that people don't uh, or the, somewhat fail to understand about generations is that we actually aren't that different. Um, what What is different is where generations start. So, you know, I'm Gen X, um, and when I was growing up, I did not have access to a computer, um, let alone a cell phone. Um, and that makes, you know, right there, that that's a difference. But all the other stuff is elemental to human behavior. So one of the first things we do is get people to recognize that we actually truly aren't as different as we think we are, um, while understanding that the differences we do have 
uh, are unique and need to be seen and appreciated and understood. Uh, a lot of the work we end up doing falls in this, like, both things can be true area, which makes it really hard to have pithy uh, commercial, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, easy to easy to sell items on a list. Because what we really are what we really are doing is is using improvisation to get you to see that, hey, that millennial who's in front of you, um, they're a bit different. You need to understand that. And by the way, that millennial who's in front of you is a lot like you. You share a lot of qualities. So if we can train you um, both to see what's different, appreciate what's different, uh, but then also find the connections that are the same, um, you're going to have a way better chance of being effective uh, in the workplace. And, and we're living in a time where we've never had this many generations all working in the workplace at one time. It's very unique. Kelly, one of the things that uh, entrepreneurs certainly struggle with is scaling up in an organization. Yeah. But I work with a lot of multinationals, and I find that problem uh, around scaling up around communication to be equally uh, difficult in a multinational where you have multiple cultures, multiple languages, people literally at every time zone across the world. But uh, so I was very intrigued by your thoughts around how a company, when it does scale up or grow, can keep its lines of communications open. Yeah, well, th this, you know, what we're talking about here is behaviors and environments. So first of all, you have to have the people in your organization behaving in a manner which um, will allow them to, again, sus suspend their own, you know, ego for the moment and recognize that there's a lot of different stuff going on here and different different kinds of people. And then environment is really important, which, you know, basically it comes down to this idea of psychological safety. And you might have heard that term. It comes from uh, a Harvard professor, Amy Edmondson, uh, but it was popularized when Google did a two-year study on what makes effective teams called Project Aristotle. And the number one thing uh, they discovered was the idea of psychological safety which means uh, you have to have your people in your organization uh, feel the freedom to speak up, um, uh, give them a high tolerance for failure um, in, in the sort of creative state of things. You don't want to fail when everything's, you know, on the line. So, you know, you need to practice a, a lot of failure. Um, so especially as organizations scale, um, we tend to lose those things. Um, we become too big. Um, uh, we're not seeing things as in a transparent you know, format. So really, it becomes more crucial uh, to give your people more training and more messaging uh, around these sort of important values as you grow. Um, because, you know, th this, is, this is the problem with innovative companies is, is you know, they, by virtue of it becoming bigger, um, it's more difficult for them to maintain uh, their innovation, which is why, you know, we're so obsessed with startup culture. But it's not impossible. We've seen everything from pharma to computer companies um, who have completely diversified. And, and what they end up having to do is often sort of change their business model as their business changes. I mean, Netflix did that. Um, you know, they were video on demand and, and DVD uh, uh, distribution. And then now they're essentially a content company uh, when they saw how things for changing. Kelly, unfortunately, uh, we are near the uh, end of our time, but I was wondering where readers or rather listeners could go if they have uh, additional questions or would like additional information. 
Yeah, they can go to secondcityworks.com or secondcity.com, and all our information is on our website. We're very easy to contact. Um, uh, we do so much bespoke work, so if you've got a problem and you don't quite know how to get there, we're really good at working with our clients to figure out uh, how to how to help them. Um, and in particular, this this era uh, this uh, area of uh, compliance and ethics is so interesting to us. And uh, there's, you know, while there's not a wide, wide uh, amount of evidence in academia around um, improvisation and comedy, it is growing. And one of the areas that it's growing in is in an area of ethics and ethical behavior. And so that's something we're, we're working on a couple studies right now. Um, and as soon as we get the results of those, they'll be up on our website. Kelly, this has just been a fascinating exploration, frankly, that went much broader uh, and deeper than I had anticipated. So uh, I greatly look forward to considering, or excuse me, continuing the conversation with you. Me too. Thanks, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. Join us again next week for another episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. The FCPA Compliance Report is a part of C-Suite Radio and is produced by the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.